Hopefully we have some cold open before our uh, music this week. I realized we didn't have that last week. Yeah, there wasn't, there was a time when I thought about taking some of the questions that you asked me and putting that in as a cold open. Also, Feel free. Tracy made a comment today while we were listening to Road Trips, the podcast series, Seth Meyers and his brother, and they just take comedians and other celebrities on to talk about family road trips. Josie shared that she doesn't usually like cold opens because it's just sort of an empty context. But I still hmm. like cold opens, so. So do I. Maybe this becomes our cold open now. I love it. I love the idea. But wait, I guess that means that the podcast has to start now. Do all the things. Do all the things. everyone to opposite of neutral i'm chris and i'm evan evan weinberg began this earthly pilgrimage in suburban ohio since then he has been an educator in new york city china vietnam and currently teaches in santiago chile question for you evan how many disney's have you been to three which ones disneyland was the first one i recall a picture of me looking fairly upset with a red popsicle stain around my mouth and a Mickey Mouse visor. And the reason I was upset is that Woody Woodpecker had taken my Mickey Mouse visor and removed it from my head multiple times, and I was not happy about this. Wait, that makes no sense, because Woody Woodpecker is not a Disney character. Woody Woodpecker should not have been at Disneyland. I can't explain how memory works, Chris. All right. You're definitely going to have to ask your parents on that one. I've been to Walt Disney World, and I will count that as a visit that is distinct from the last time, which I'm calling visit number three. And I'm saying that because I was a kid. I think I was nine when I was at Walt Disney World, and it was really fun. And the third time was two years ago in the summer when I got to go to Epcot Center with Josie and my daughter, Nora, and her cousins and my brother and sister-in-law. And the reason I'm calling this a third visit is because I was an adult. And I think it has a different flavor when you see it as an adult compared to as a kid. Absolutely. I agree with that. So you've been to Disney three times, but to two different parks. But the second time you were at Disney World, it felt like a different place. I think it it hits differently and that's why it counts as a third visit. And we can maybe delve into that another time. Yes, we can. Chris Wolf taught social studies internationally for a number of years, but has since moved back to the United States of America with his family. And Chris, my question for you today is what was the last thing that you lost and then found? Well, this is something I've been working on right now. My mom came up for Christmas with a huge box for me, said, I don't know what's in here. The box says Spokane Basement. I left Spokane in 1993. This box probably left Spokane in 1994 or 95. And 
it went to two different cities, three different houses, and was found recently on the shelves. I opened it up, and the majority of this box is baseball cards. It is exciting. It is. And when I keep going through this box, I have now taken all the cards out, trying to put them in some sort of order. It is pretty incredible to see the amount of time I've spent looking at these cards, the money I must have spent, you know, buying these cards as a kid. But I also remember the pure joy I had of riding my bike down to 7-Eleven, buying a, a set of Topps cards, figuring out what's in there, trading with some friends. And we talked about the baseball cards in our second episode, the trade episode. That's right. And talking about my Greg Jeffries rookie cards. And lo and behold, Greg Jeffries rookie cards have appeared again. A time capsule of Chris Wolf memorabilia. That is incredible. Yeah. There are a couple of letters in there. There are a couple of notes. There were, I found some registration for my eighth grade elective that I must not have turned in because I did not get the elective that was noted on there because I never turned the sheet of paper in. I remember being in eighth grade, having my one elective class, and they said, if you don't turn this sheet of paper in, you're going to get reading as your class. And for me, I was really excited about that. I said, that's great. I love to read. And then I was in reading class and realized it was for kids who can't read or are reluctant to read. It was the wrong place for me. I don't know how long I was in that class, but they moved me. I was at an aide for the counseling center for the rest of the year. But it was kind of funny. I'm like, I realized really quickly I should not be in reading class because I know how to read. It's like those moments, I shouldn't be here. And you realize it. And it's too late either to do anything about it or you're too polite to say anything. Who was yes. it who made the change? Was it you or did someone else say, we've made a terrible mistake? It was so long ago. It's really hard to tell. All I know is I did not end up there. I guess we're all better for it. I mean, maybe you would have lost time if you had stayed in. I mean, who knows? I love when I find boxes of stuff from a long time ago. It really is a time capsule. Young Chris Wolf sent this box of business business cards, of baseball cards. (laughs) including Greg Jeffries, to the future. And and it arrived safe and sound. And now it's up to adult Chris to decide what to do with it. Yes. You said business cards. There was one business card in there. And it said Satan. It had a phone number and an address on it. You have to call it. Nolan already did. The number has been disconnected. I guess Satan (laughs) has moved. Satan is online now. Satan doesn't have a voicemail. No landline for Satan. Or his area code. Her area code? We'll never know. Well, what a small world that you have Satan's business card. Yes. And I gave it to Nolan for safekeeping. I think they will enjoy it much more than I will. It's fantastic. All right, Evan, you, you had this great idea of small world. Why don't you start us off? There are a number of reasons why I felt... Small world was something we needed to talk about. And there are a couple of aspects of this, and I thought it would be it would be good to talk about the two aspects of it in chronological order. Because I have two, what I am calling small world stories, and I'm going to tell each of them. 
to give a sense of why I think it matters. I want to bring you back to the year 2003, my first year teaching. Everyone's first year teaching is tough. I had moved to New York City and as a 22-year-old in the big city, I was teaching out in the Bronx and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. I remember getting home, let's say on a Friday afternoon and saying, you know, this is really hard, but it feels good that I'm doing this hard work and going through it. But I still wondered if this was the right place to be. And so fast forward to one evening when I was coming home on the train, I get off the train, I walk from Lexington Avenue where the train let me out and walked toward York Avenue where my apartment was. And I make the turn on 75th and there are trailers all over the place movie trailers and my spidey sense pops up and so i asked somebody what's going on everything seems to be all a twitter and they said well they're filming a movie in the bar up the street it's starring will ferrell and i stopped i didn't hear the other names because i said oh my god will ferrell might be in my neighborhood now i had been a will ferrell fan forever I loved him on Saturday Night Live. I loved his movies. And I'm like, really? Will Ferrell is in my neighborhood. So I cross the street and I'm looking around. And just as I am looking around, I see him. He is coming out of his trailer and he has an assistant there walking down with him. And I'm like a little starstruck. And I just say, Mr. Ferrell? He's like, yes. They say, hi, I'm Evan. And maybe sensing that I was a little starstruck, or maybe he's been in this situation before. He was so incredibly nice. He just said, how's it going? And I said, what do you, what, why are you, why are you here? Explains. <laughs> he explains like, well, we're filming a movie called Winter's Passing. And it's with Ed Harris and Zoe Deschanel. And we're, we're just up the street. And so I kind of, chilled out a little bit and and said that sounds really fun and you know I'm, I'm a huge fan this is amazing that i'm getting to meet you i am a teacher right now i'm just coming from the bronx i've been working all day and this is just really cool that i, I get to meet you right now and he said that sounds great and the only thing that i had for an autograph was my lesson plan book of graph paper so i just said would you sign my graph paper notebook those are my lesson plans that just go to the back. And so he's kind of eyeing me weird, but he does it. He just says, sure, nice to meet you. And he walks off and I then go to my house, which is right there. And I'm just, I'm tingling. It was amazing. And I later wrote to a friend that this moment that I had in New York proved that I was in the right place that this was such an improbable thing to happen of all the people that I could have possibly run into, that suddenly that moment that I met one of my favorite actors in the world confirmed that I was where I needed to be at the right time I needed to be there and that I needed to embrace that reality. And I think that's one of the big things when I think of small world that the likelihood of this chance encounter actually happening is so incredibly low that 
This moment happening is a reason that the world is as it needs to be. And I think there are other situations that are like that when it comes to small world. It's improbable that this would happen, and yet it did. And thus, we can draw some conclusion about this that otherwise we might not make. Do you have any stories like that, Chris? I don't. I'm I'm thinking about your story, though. I mean, it's not that small of a world. I mean, I think about the number of movie sets that I've actually seen. And because I've never lived in New York, that number is very, very small. I assume that you've seen other movies and films and other things being shot on the streets of New York. Is that true? It, it is. I've seen movie sets elsewhere, too. I saw things in London happening. I stumbled onto a Marvel movie being shot in Baton Rouge because it was so much cheaper for them to film in Baton Rouge. Oh, it was Fantastic Four. That's right. It was a Fantastic Four movie. It was much cheaper to shoot there than it was in New York. Yeah. And I think, yes, it's a small world, but you got to think about place and time. Like, I've seen one I, when I grew, was growing up in Spokane. That movie, Benny and June, starring Johnny Depp, was filmed there. And the one other time I remember walking down the street and saw the actress Mary Stuart Masterson walking down the street the other way, I was like, ooh, that's Mary Stuart Masterson. She's in the movie. And like I turned around and looked. And that was the only other time I've seen like a movie set. I guess when I was in New York, once I was in Brooklyn, visiting my friend Brian, who, by the way, great shout out to Brian, because whenever there was anything being filmed, he didn't care. He would just walk straight where he was going because he didn't care if there was a TV commercial, especially being filmed. He's like, I'm not going to let them stop me where I'm going because they've got some commercial to film. I'm just going to walk straight through the set, whatever it was, which I really liked. But looked and I saw a guy who looked like Tupac. It's like, wow, that's really weird. That guy looks just like Tupac. And guess what? They were shooting a movie about Biggie and Tupac. So it just happened to be that that was around the corner. I didn't actually see the set. I just saw Tupac walking around New York City. But I feel like, yes, you're right. There is a small world. There is that, you know, that sort of pieces to come together. But the right place, the right time. Yeah, New York City is the place that's going to happen. That's less, far less likely to happen in Spokane, Washington, Cleveland, somewhere else. Yeah, I, you know, your Baton Rouge is a good example of a less likely place. But obviously you're filming something somewhere. But at the same time, I wonder, how small is that world? Sure. I think it's this idea of suddenly seeing your world so personalized that it's a moment when you feel that the world is made for you, which is kind of a selfish idea, I guess. But if things had been any other way, maybe it wouldn't have been Will Ferrell. Maybe it would have been, I don't know, Rob Schneider. I don't care about Rob Schneider. And it wouldn't have hit me. Made me feel, oh, yeah, I, I think I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, maybe I should stick with this. You know, Deuce Bigelow didn't really land with me. Maybe you're different. As, no, I mean, I would love to see Will Ferrell in person, walking down the street, coming out of a trailer, going into a bar, whatever it might be. I, you're right. I think there is that sort of element of serendipity, right? That there is this serendipitous moment where everything comes together. And I, I've had those too. Like I remember going to a 
Pearl Jam concert when I was younger. And it was really exciting. We were, but we bought our tickets. We were in the second area. So we weren't in the pit or anything. So we were really kind of bummed out. But I was wearing like a pair of Tevas and it was hot out. And I'd like taken off my shirt. And this, this was the 90s. You could do these things. And I was young. And then the people between the pit and our area, this is an outdoor concert. These people started shaking the fences. And all of a sudden, someone yells, the fence is down. And we jump up and we run to the gap where the fence is down. And I run in. A security guard tries to grab me, but I'm all hot and sweaty. And like he just grabs my skin and just slides right off. I go straight into the pit. And of course, I'm wearing a pair of Tevas. And my feet are getting stomped. And this guy yells, he's got Tevas. And he picks me up, throws me up in the air, and the crowd catches me. And suddenly I'm crowd surfing. It's this gorgeous evening. It's this place called The Gorge in George, Washington. And it's this beautiful area. The sun is setting. It's gorgeous. Eddie Vedder is singing the song Alive. And he makes eye contact with me. He looks straight at me. And all that, that confluence of events, that perfect thing. And at one point, he was singing directly to me. At least that's how the world felt. And it, if I had been wearing a shirt, that security guard would have caught me. If I'd been wearing other shoes, someone else, you know, they wouldn't have thrown me up into the air and to let the crowd catch me. Like The perfect moments, I feel that. Maybe Eddie was singing to you, singing just to you from that point forward, every concert. He was wondering where I was after that. So do you think Will Ferrell was thinking, but like, where, where'd Evan go? Well, hasn't Evan come to show, show up in my trailer again? I'd like to think so. I mean, if he's listening yeah. to this podcast, I think it's time to follow up because this is 20 years after the fact, Will. Still a huge fan. I just saw you and Barbie. Yeah. Will Ferrell, absolute gold whatever movie he makes however i just realized i've never heard of winter passing i just had to look it up and i thought i knew will ferrell's repertoire pretty well and i'm a big zoe deschanel fan so that's two for two there and i'd never heard of this movie have you seen it i did end up seeing it and i saw the scenes that were filmed in the bar up the street and it was it it was fine but i think it was when he was still exploring drama and how he could fit into drama. And I don't think he needed to try as hard as he was. I'm just looking up the movie that I really liked him in that was kind of the crossover was Stranger Than Fiction. Did you see that? Mm. Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, that was 2006. Winter's Passing came out in 2005. Stranger Than Fiction was 2006. And Stranger Than Fiction, he wasn't trying. He was being himself. He was just kind of being his goofy, lovable, approachable self in that movie. And that's why it worked so well. And it's not that he can't do serious roles. I think he can. He is who he is. And I think that's a very good thing. Yeah, I was trying to think of another. There's another movie where he's also trying to do a serious film, which it was based on a Raymond Carver story. I thought was really good, but didn't get the traction. Like he can do those scenes. He can do those movies, but it doesn't seem like that's what he ended up becoming. Like you said, he's at times had to try too hard where like, I feel like the goofy Will Ferrell, we could all jump on that. 
Everything we must go. That. Yes. Everything must go. And I don't think I saw it. It was good. I really liked, I remember the Raven Carver story so well too. And I think he did a really good job with that. I think we might be getting sidetracked here. This is not an episode about the career of Will Ferrell because, I mean, we could have a whole podcast just about that. We're talking about the small world. So I, I have another example of this that is much more recent. It gets to what I'm calling the second kind of small world experience. And so I want to take you to an email that I received in 2017 from someone who wrote me out of the blue and was interested in getting into international teaching. She had some experience teaching, I think, and had taken some time off. Maybe her kids had been born and she was thinking of getting back into it. So she sent this email in November of 2017, just kind of saying, hey, these are my questions. This is what I want to know about the differences between teaching internationally and teaching stateside. And so I got a lot of advice when I decided to go overseas and I just wanted to kind of pay it forward. This was me, I guess, seven years in, having taught in China for six years. And then this was the second year that we were in Vietnam together, Chris. So I answered a bunch of these questions. And I think the line that really hit was, you know, maybe, maybe I'll get to thank you in person one day. And I remember at the time I just kind of said, I'm happy to do this. I'm happy to help you out, but I don't know that we're actually going to meet. So I'm going to fast forward to this past July and I get an email. This name kind of seemed familiar. I'm like, who, what, who is this? And sure enough, it was the same person. And Liana, if you're listening, I'm glad to know you're listening. But she wrote me to say, that she recognized or my name on the new teachers and said, I hope I get to meet you. And it turns out that she is a teacher here in Santiago at the school where I teach. And so here That's we are. That's amazing. Yeah. So seven years later, we are now teaching at the same school and we got to actually meet. We sat next to each other in the start of the year assembly and, and it was just kind of like, how you been? <laughs> because we had had no further communication since that previous email. And I look at this different experience and I think about all the experiences that I've had overseas and getting to know people. And I realize now, after I've really been, been teaching for 20 years, that this doesn't seem like an unlikely thing anymore. That because of doing this for 20 years and the circles that, that we run in, it is likely that I'm going to get to know the same kind of people and that people I know are going to know other people. There's another connection here that I want to share with you, Chris, because there's another teacher here whose name is Chris. She is a science teacher, wonderful person. And it turns out she taught our mutual friend, Amber when she was growing up and going to school in Dubai. Oh, wow. I know, right? I love it. Yes. And you taught in, in Dubai. No, sorry. You taught in Doha. But I did. You did not know Amber, and you did not know Chris. No. And yet we now have all of these connections where we're bound to each other. 
because of the adventures that we've had. I'm sure you have similar stories too. Yeah. And I think that's the amazing thing that people don't realize about the international teaching world is that that world is so small. There are so many of those connections. Like you remember Marty Lauer. When I moved to Doha, I took his old classroom. So his classroom in Doha, he left, I came in and essentially filled his spot. So when we moved to Saigon, seven years later, coming in with the Lowers, like when he said, oh, I'm Marty Lauer, I'm like, I know exactly who you are because I had all your old lesson plans in my room. So you have those really close connections. And there's a couple more of those that I was thinking about. Recently, here in Anacortes, uh, Emily gave a presentation to a sixth grade class, a language arts class, and she you know, talked about her experience as an international teacher. And after she was done, the teacher, Miss Chambers, comes up to her and says, well, that's strange. You said you taught in Doha. I think I only know one other person who's ever been there. Do you know the Tompkins? And right away, Emily is like, you mean Jody? And Jody Tompkins was someone we knew. And she mentioned that to me. I said, oh, yeah, I taught their daughter. So here was this one small connection in one random place in the world. And right away, we knew the same person. I feel like that happens a lot. And you might remember Jake West. I have another one of those small world connections with Jake West. Because Jake is currently teaching in Saigon but had taught in Doha. So we knew each other there and we became Facebook friends. And I noticed we, he had a, we had a common Facebook friend. I said, well, how do you know the Harnitos? You know, this girl that I were mutual friends with this, you know, this woman, I guess I would say now that I went to high school with he goes, well, she's my cousin. And I actually lived in Spokane for a little bit. I said, Oh, and we talked about it. We realized that we were actually at the same elementary school at the same time. And now we're teaching together in Saigon. Like, so those small world things are there, especially in the international world. I feel like it is such a close knit community, but then you have those things like, yes, it's one thing to teach. You know, oh, I taught in Doha. Now I teach in Saigon, but to go to the same elementary school and not realize that till years later. And he was there for one year. He was a kindergartner when I was a sixth grader. But at the same time, it's still that funny connection there. And you look at the probabilities that you are a teacher who has lived in these places and that someone else is a teacher who has lived in these places. I would bet that if you actually look at the probabilities of these things happening, they're not as unlikely as we might initially think. But it takes some of the wonder out of it. The delight that you feel when you discover one of these connections between people. The first small world moment that I can remember was when I was in New Zealand on the Fox Glacier. And I had never been on a glacier before. I'm wearing the crampons. And there's this person, it was an older guy and his wife, who just happened to be next to me and we just got to talking because we were right next to each other and they were both from Shaker Heights, Ohio. So here I am, uh. other hemisphere, other side of the world, and randomly on the Fox Glacier, 
these two people are from one of the cities that when I was in high school, I would spend a lot of my time hanging out with friends, going out to eat, loitering, as you did. And Shaker Heights, Ohio has a sizable population, but not so much that you would expect to see them on a glacier on the other side of the world. Yeah. Those connections, it's amazing that those happen. And once again, you think about all the things that made that happen. You deciding to go to the glacier that day, they decided to go to the glacier that day, you're standing in line next to each other. You could have easily missed each other in that small world connection. It takes a lot to make that happen. And I remember I had a similar one when we were, Emily and I were backpacking through Europe. We actually were sitting at the Hofbrau house in Munich and started talking to these people next to us. It turns out they went to the same university as I did. They both went to Western Washington and we knew people in common. It was that strange, small world. How do you meet someone on a different continent at a beer hall of all places? And it is pretty incredible that the world works that way. There could be some element of confirmation bias there. Like how many meetings do you have with people who have no connection? And because they have no connection, you don't remember those interactions. So there's a part of that. Like I said, with the probability, it takes some of the magic out to think about that. It still happens often enough. And even if it's likely, because we're, we're operating in groups that have so many intersections that it makes sense, it, it's still incredible when it happens. I think about when you're part of a specialized group, and that specialized group could be AP teachers. It could be people with robotics teams that... Because people are specialized, because they have these skills that bring them together, that of course, because it's such a small group, even given that you're spread out around the world, you're still going to find each other because of those special skills. Yeah. I think when you start getting the specialized groups, then the pro- like when we talk about the probability, let's take, we take, strip away the magic. Yes, a specialized community it does make a lot more sense that you're going to have a smaller world. But when you start having those, I'm going to say the, in the middle of the big world on the Fox Glacier in a beer hall, those sorts of encounters I think are even more fantastic. And you're right. We don't remember all the ones we don't meet because they're not the small world. If we met them again, somewhere randomly and we're like, Hey, weren't you the person I ran into at the, you know, and it turns out, oh, yeah, now we see each other. That's pretty remarkable, too. So I want to think about this idea, Evan, of the small world and big world, because we have this idea that the world is getting smaller. They keep saying, like, he keeps saying that when they talk about the Internet, it makes the world smaller. And I see what they mean, like the fact that we're having a conversation right now. I'm at my home in Anacortes. You're in your home in Santiago. We can make a podcast that can be listened to by anyone around the world just this easily. It's the small world right there. But in another sense, is the world really smaller? I feel like the more I explore the world, the bigger it actually gets. And I I want to go back to Disneyland for a second. When you were at Disneyland, did you go on the small world ride? I remember it on my, my first Disney World visit. Or maybe it's not there anymore. <laughs> They've gotten rid of it for all kinds of, I mean, understandable and good reasons. 
<laughs> I think it's still there. It is still in, at Disney. I was reading up about it. It's still at the parks. It has been updated and changed, but it's still there. Okay, I, I stand corrected. When we went to Epcot, I thought that it was at Epcot and that it wasn't there and that it had been replaced by something specifically because there were all, all kinds of elements of it that, that didn't quite fit in 2022 when we were there. Right, but it's not it, It's not at Epcot. It's at Disney World, okay. which is a different park. So, But I think about that Small World ride. And initially, the Small World ride was not actually at Disney. It was at the 1964 World's Fair. And then disassembled, brought across the country to Los Angeles. So, so it was in New York in 1964 at the World's Fair. And I think about this whole idea that you needed to have a fair. You needed to show the world to people who were in New York, or people would travel to New York to see the world. You've got this World's Fair, and it's left like this lasting impression. Because you go to New York City, City today, you go out to uh, Queens, you can see the Unisphere. There are still pieces of that park that originated in the first the 1939 World's Fair, but later the 1964 World's Fair. But this whole idea of having a World's Fair, having these things that you had to travel someplace to see the world, it seems almost archaic. The small world ride, if you remember going on it, you get to travel the world on this little boat and children are singing in their native costumes around the world. It was a novelty. Today, I probably would not go on that ride for a variety of reasons, mostly because there's no novelty there. Having lived in Vietnam, lived in the Middle East, traveled through these other places, I don't need to go on a ride in Disney to show me the world. I remember as a kid going to Epcot Center, because there's two parts of Epcot, as I remember from like being a kid, one of which is the futuristic world area, and the other part is like showing you the world. Like there is a Mayan pyramid and a little London. They have their world village and they have buildings from a number of different regions around the world. So it's a way that you can visit all of these places without actually leaving Epcot Center, which has some appeal, I guess, but it also cheapens the idea of saying, well, now we don't need to travel. It's already... And if you've travel to Florida in the first place as a family. It's expensive mm -hmm. to travel there. It's expensive yeah. to take the family. And I'm sure you saw someone at some point yelling at their children, I paid good money for this. You better have fun, damn it. And I think in a way, yes, I remember as a kid, like how magical Epcot was to me. Like, wow, this is what the world is. Also, like it helps spark, like, I would like to go to those places. Now that I have seen a Mayan pyramid and gone down it on a water slide or whatever it is, I would like to go see the Mayan pyramids. Yeah. And I think that is the goal of these places is not to just say, hey, you don't need to travel anymore because look, we brought it to you. No, this is a sampler platter, a quick little glimpse into what is out there and if this inspires you to see the real Japan or the real Sweden, 
I guess I should say Norway, not just the part that inspired Frozen, then maybe you could go to the real country and meet real people because it's not just a cartoon. It's there are real people everywhere, which is the actual message of a small world that everyone is out there in the world. They have good days. They have bad days. There's one moon and one sun and a smile means friendship to everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it means you're about to get fooled. But I think about these, the World Series has been going on for a long time. The expos, if you will, have been going on for a long time. As a kid, I went to Expo 86 in Vancouver, Canada. And it's like so marvelous. You got this little passport. You got stamps from all the countries and got to see all the things. And it did inspire me to go to these places. But these have been going on for a long time. Like 1893, Chicago hosted the World's Fair and the Field Museum today, the Museum of Science and Industry. All these big museums are actually in the buildings that were built for the World's Fair. So the World's Fairground still holds a place. But people back then, to see the world, if you wanted to go to all these exotic places, the only chance you got was to go to the World's Fair. Because you're most likely not going to go. Most people did not travel more than 25 miles from their homes in their lifetime. So it was a unique experience. Now, it seems like anachronistic. Like I have some friends of mine, that's Robin and Linda, are living in Dubai. And they sent all these pictures of going to the World Expo in Dubai. Which is kind of amazing to think, okay, here's these people who have lived and traveled, and they have traveled to so many countries, lived in so many places, and going to the World's Fair in Dubai seems like a strange thing. But I think the more you travel, you have this idea that the world gets smaller, but I think the world gets bigger. And for me, that example is Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka was not a place I'd ever imagined going to. And when we flew into Sri Lanka, just how far and how intricate the travel was to get from one place to another and how what looks like a little island on a map becomes a much larger country than you can ever imagine. Like so the more I saw the world, the more I realized I didn't know much about the world at all. I really like that. Absolutely. The idea that it is a small world if all you see is what's around you and as you expand your understanding of the world around you, you're expanding your world so that it gets bigger. I mean, I yeah, I've never thought about that, Chris, but I really like that idea. Think about it in the context of what happens here in Chile. I mean, a lot of people in the rest of the world don't think about South America even. Let's say the whole continent. Australia has all its... Kangaroos. Uh, it's got some glamour to it. The unique place in the Southern Hemisphere that has kangaroos and a cool accent that's kind of like British, but also totally different. And then there's New Zealand, which is always the afterthought for Australia, even though it's a completely different place and has its own personality. Asia, I mean, there's so much that people think about in the Middle East, in Japan, China. It's all over the news. But I have to admit, that coming here, there's a lot of history of South America that I just had no idea about. I had no idea about the conflict between Chile and Argentina and Peru and the crazy things that happened 
with their navies while they were working out who <laughs> owns the islands around Tierra del Fuego. And they're still fighting about this and the role of England in all of this and the U.S. There's just so much that, that we don't learn. I never learned any South American history in my world history classes. And so my world has been made bigger because I now live here. And people have lived here for a very long time. And they've been living perfectly normal, exciting, boring, both at, at various times, their lives. And there are people all around the world who, again, are living their lives in very different situations because... Every place is different, every person is different, every situation, every context. And so when you can find these areas of agreement, when you're going from place to place to place, it's such a magical thing. It's a reason to go to all of these different places and expand your world so that you can see what the commonalities are and what the differences are. Absolutely. I think that the smaller the world gets, the bigger the world gets. And we can be anywhere in the world within 48 hours. That doesn't mean we know the world at all. Absolutely. I wonder if there is still a role for having the World Expo, though, because we have the internet. We can find out all the information we might need. It's all there, but it's the people. It's the direct connections with people. It's not made real until you share a meal or share a beer with someone who has these connections to other people that you have shared meals with, and you just feel connected to other people in a way that the internet still has not uh, has served us well. I know. I think that was like the promise of the internet. You could be in a chat room with someone from across the world and have a conversation. It would bring you together. When in fact, it feels like a lot of the times it's just people tearing each other apart in this invisible world. But I think that that is a whole different topic again, because as this world gets smaller, we thought this was going to bring us all together, but we realized the world is much bigger than we expected. We saw a lot of the initial potential of the internet, for example. We only saw our one little piece of the world without realizing the bigger picture and the bigger world that it was going to open up for good and for bad. How many of our conflicts now happen because we realize that the world is much bigger than we originally thought? Our small world no longer exists because suddenly we have these collisions between what we see as the world and what others, people who are 26 miles away and there's that overlap, suddenly we're in the same space and we have to coexist. So what do we do? Another topic... For another day. I think you're right. That's good, Evan. I'm so glad to get the conversation with you. I like the fact that we have a small world that can bring you and I together. Even though we are in two different hemispheres, two very different time zones, it's been great chatting with you, as always. So, talk about ideas for next week. Well, four options out there, and I'm even thinking we'll put this out as a poll to find out what people are interested in. To all of you out there in the opposite of neutral world, and I hope you will vote in the poll and share with us what you're interested in. Or if these ideas don't do it for you, feel free to send an email to opposite of neutral podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. But these are the four ideas. Idea one, just press send. This is the challenge of committing ideas to 
paper, email, a blog post, maybe a Facebook post. So just press send or post. Idea two, imposter syndrome. Lots to discuss there. Idea number three, when we were young, a look back at what we were like when we were little, what we saw in the world, in ourselves, and how that shapes who we are today. And number four, side hustle. What do we choose to do when what we do isn't what we want to do? One, two, three, four. Those all sound like great topics. I hope all of our listeners out there around the world, in this very small world, take the time to press send and send us their votes. So until then, signing off, this is the Opposite of Neutral. I'm Chris. And I'm Evan. Bye, everybody. Thanks.